Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another special episode of the What the Niche podcast. And as always, I am your illustrious host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we jump right into the nit and gritty of this episode, I have a couple quick plugs and pieces of news. First, we are moving into the last week of October, so if you're looking for something fun and spooky to do for the season, please go check out the American Horrorplex in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a great haunted attraction and is operated by two wonderful people, Travis Bowling and Matt Clayton, who were former guests on this very podcast. Next, please feel free to revisit some of my previous episodes that will help keep you in the Halloween spirit. You can dig into the two scary short stories, Dying of Thirst or The Cat and the Hummingbird, written by my great friend and former guest of the podcast, Eric Chavez. Or maybe you'd like to hear the musings of an amazingly talented local horror film director, check out the episode with Nathan Thomas Milner. Let's not forget one of the more recent episodes from the Fright Night Film Festival, which showcased Tori Jones, Roman Josart, Guilty Wilson, Jed Bryan, and Santiago Cirillo. And most recently, the first part of a series of episodes showcasing the amazing women of horror, which brought you chats from Tabby Gray, Lila Toba, Killarney Trainer, and Holly Chrysler. I'd also like to promote something else I was recently involved with. I appeared on an episode of the Dastardly Dingoes podcast with Brian Rodman and Jeremy Woodring. The episode showcasing our conversation, in which I represent the nerds of the horror genre, is dropping as a special Halloween episode this week, so be sure to check it out at the link in the episode description. Finally, Please continue to share the podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to provide some monetary support, you can donate money via the whatthenitch.net site. And you can also grab some wonderful podcast swag while you're there as well. As always, I love every one of my listeners and I greatly appreciate your continued support. Now, without further ado, it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we will continue our dive into the wonderful world of women in horror. No, don't go in there. The murderer just went in. I can't handle this. Even though I know it's not real, watching a horror movie really makes my skin crawl as if it were actually happening to me. I'm Shannon, and I'm a neuroscience PhD candidate. And this is your brain. On horror. Horror movies are so effective because on a subconscious level, my brain thinks they're actually trying to murder me. You heard that right. There's a reason why we literally jump out of our seats during a sufficiently scary scene. Horror movies activate my brain's fight or flight response. It sounds the alarm to my body, first activating the hypothalamus, which tells my adrenal gland to inject me with a big boost of adrenaline. 
the hypothalamus also activates the pituitary gland, which signals to the adrenal gland to release cortisol, a hormone which keeps me alert and ready for action well after the initial jolt of adrenaline dissipates. Did you hear that? Speaking of hearing, the music used in a horror film can often be the scariest part. Screechy, non-linear noises that build to a crescendo sound enough like a baby's cry to activate the same hardwired response pathway that a child's scream would. Further, horror music can create an unsettling feeling for the audience using the combination of different notes. This note and this note, while on their own sound fine, when played together, create a tritone. The lack of resolution this sound creates is unsettling and makes me feel like something is wrong. Hearing tritones causes less smooth firing patterns in the auditory cortex. Screechy violins and discordant notes work together to make my brain uneasy and alert. <laughs> Screaming isn't just for babies, though. It also serves as a way to convey dangers to a social group. Adult screams work largely in the same way as baby screams, in that they induce fear to anyone who's listening, and that includes the screamer. That's right, screaming can work in a sort of feedback loop, heightening my awareness and allowing me to better respond to any potential dangers. The seductive allure of the frightening images in the dark. Spare no victim, young or old. We all find ourselves occasionally caught in the grips of terror, making horror a beautiful, irresistible temptress to which everyone eventually succumbs. No one is discriminated against in the shadows. Fear will sink its teeth into its prey. Regardless of the ensnared person's race, sex, creed, or orientation, bound by the unified uncertainties of the things we don't quite understand, walking through the tight corridors of your favorite local haunt, a stranger's hand in the dimly lit rooms of staged images of murder. It is there an unfamiliar touch can comfort you, and anyone within arm's reach creates assurance from the evils found in the stories to which we subject ourselves. Gazing through the mists of insecurities as solace begins to clear the air. Walking with your neighbor to take a journey into the darkest recesses of the human subconscious, where we can find ourselves coming out the other side, escaping the delirium of the everyday tribulations faced by us all, letting the bond of the uncomfortable terrors guide us through waves of anguish and leading us into an era where we can all fight against those demons of difference, finding resolve 
in our unified conquering of all the things we fear together. That brings me to this week's guests. The first is a wonderful woman by the name of Autumn Barefoot. She is a wife, a hiker, and a horror makeup and special effects artist. During our fantastic discussion, we cover the changes the industry has undergone since the popularity of things like The Walking Dead, which have changed the industry forever. We also chatted about the continued perception of the horror genre, which includes people assuming those involved are likely depressed and unhappy. This is a great chat with a very talented lady in the horror world, and I hope you enjoy it. everybody. Um, I'm Autumn Barefoot and I'm a local Louisville um, special effects artist um, that has worked on movies, uh, theater, uh, haunted houses, um, photo shoots, and all everything else. <laughs> and I've done a ton of horror movies. So <laughs> uh, I I didn't get a chance to talk to dive into the theater work that you've done. Uh, what theater stuff, uh, who have you worked with in the, in the area? Um, I did a few shows at alley theater. Oh, okay. So, Were you, did yeah. you do evil dead the musical? No, I worked on, um, do you remember when they did like the zombie shows where they had multiple shows going on? Um, I do remember and, that, but I never yeah. got out there. Yeah. So I got to work on that. So that was a lot of fun. Um, the one, that I got to work on, uh, I had to slowly progress her turning into a zombie as it was going on. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. Um, and then they had two stages going at the same time. So they had a full length play on one stage and then the other stage was like broken into different short plays. So I was kind of doing both makeups for both stages at the same time. So it was it was pretty fun. <laughs> it kept sounds like busy. A, a lot of work. Yeah. That sounds like they kept you real busy. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I did get out to see evil dead, the musical. I talked with, uh, Lila Toba, uh, earlier, uh, on my previous podcast. Have okay. you heard that? Uh, she was in it. She was, uh, I forget what character. One of the, one of the leads, yeah. uh, did it with two sprained ankles. Oh, Mad crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, what? Shut the front door. She sent me pictures. It's <laughs> like, damn, son. Um, and it was a fun show. Super gory. Yeah, just yeah. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So I like to start these conversations and kick these things off um, by laying to rest. Hopefully uh, some of the assumptions that people might make about you as a, a makeup artist uh, and especially as a female in the horror genre in general. Um, so what are some of the things that people come at you with based upon you being involved in horror and being a, ma a special effects makeup person? So uh, the funny thing that I get a lot of times because um, one, I don't wear a lot of makeup and I am kind of uh, my husband calls me a dirty hippie. 
Um, so <laughs> that's so sweet. What a beautiful yeah. pet name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's always the assumption that people are very surprised that one, I do special effects makeup and that I enjoy horror. So there's, it's kind of the flip for me that, um, just by the, you know, the way I look and stuff that people assume that I'm not, um, in that industry. So it's kind of an interesting, I like, there's a local, I won't say place that sells makeup, um, where they generally won't, pay attention to me when I walk in because I don't wear a lot of makeup, but places like Caulfield's, um, little plug for Caulfield's. Um, they know you by name. But they're always very helpful and welcoming. And so that's where I go. If I need to locally go get makeup, that's where I go. So. Yeah. And I mean, they're just such a wonderful staple to the city. Yes, you know, when you so. think about horror and you think about, uh, Halloween and things of that nature. I mean, there's a line out the door, you yeah. know, uh, this time of year, of course, this year is a little bit different, but, um, yeah, I, I, I could see that assumption. You're very quiet. Um, so maybe that shyness and things of that nature, you're not thinking like, I bet that girl loves to scare the shit out of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't get that very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I could, I could certainly see that. Yeah. Um, well, I am very interested to know um, some of the things that maybe one of the failures, one of the things that was a complete disaster. You're like, oh, Jesus, could this get any worse? Uh, if you have that type of memory and what you feel like was maybe your crowning achievement, the thing that you did that you felt was, damn, I don't know if I could do better than that. Um, I would say, uh, so my first full feature movie that I uh, did makeup for was Dead Moon Rising. And I wish I could go back because that was before I really knew anything. And I had answered a Craigslist um, to help with makeup. And I ended up doing all the makeup for the whole movie. So um, I'm just so glad that you're still here. The fact yeah. that you got a job via Craigslist scares the <laughs> exactly. shit out of me. I've seen enough Luckily, movies. He was a very lovely man. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wish like, um, they weren't actually, everybody thinks they're zombies, but they were just infected. And we ended up, uh, doing everybody like a really bright yellow. So that has always been like, I wish I could go back and just do a better job, but it was a fun movie and we learned a lot. So that's good. But, um, and then you have your occasional, like, I think uh, there was one movie that I worked on that I needed to do um, a cut wrist that bled. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out, <laughs> which um, it wasn't a major. We worked it out and everything. But when you like leave set that night, you always feel like, oh, I'm like such a failure. I messed it up. <laughs> but <laughs> really, it, it works out in the end. So um, my biggest accomplishment, which is kind of been outside of movies was um i'm not a body painter won't claim to be one and um at fright night they used to have a body painting competition every year and i would force myself to do it and uh the first two years terrible i did a terrible job i was like kind of embarrassed um but the third year i really practiced and you know really came up with a good concept and everything and um, I got second place that year and, um, 
So that was a big accomplishment for me just because uh, I pushed myself outside of my comfort zone and um, finally, you know, it worked it out, figured it out. So, and then I always appreciate when, you know, you gross out your director or <laughs> uh, with an effect or something comes off well on camera is always a good accomplishment too. Yeah. I've, depending on the director, sometimes the best comment is no, none. Yeah. That's you know, true. you're like, they have no, no criticism. <laughs> you just went in and did what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And you're like, all right. Cool. I've done my job. Yep. That's all I needed. <laughs> exactly. Um, of course, directors, if you're listening, we do appreciate as people <laughs> that you're working with to be like, hey, good job. Occasionally. <laughs> or something. Right? Something I mean, like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> right? A Snickers, something. Just keep little miniature Snickers like by the camera and just hand them out. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just a nice physical representation <laughs> of your appreciation. Um, <laughs> so I know you said you've been doing this for a while now, 15 going on 16 years. So I'm always intrigued to know uh, from insiders, people, you know, that are inside the industry and things of that nature. How has it changed as far as makeup and things of that go uh, nature, you know, in film and on stage? Uh, how has it changed? It has gotten so. Um, how to explain? Like I can explain like best with the effects that are done on The Walking Dead. It kind of upped the game, like what's expected how well everybody does. There's so many makeup artists everywhere. And um, so it has really, I think, elevated um, what's expected and what um, people are capable of doing since I started, I think. Yeah, it's 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 always, it kind of boggles the mind. Like, I think once you know what can be done and you see it done, then it, it, it elevates everything. And, and you see that in really anything. Uh, you know, skateboarding, you could take, for example, uh, once Tony Hawk did the, uh, I believe he did a 900, uh, where he did three full, uh, almost three full rotations. And then people do a 1200, like it's nothing, you know, yeah. the first time somebody <laughs> did a backflip on a bike, you were like, what did I just see? And then everybody's doing backflips. You know, I yeah. think it was just like, people were maybe scared to do it. Uh, and then once they see it, they can kind of break down how that works. Yeah guitarists you know i was in a metal band seeing what guitarists can do now like 20 years ago i was like oh my god this band is shredding so hard and now it's like 11 year old yeah. asian kids are doing it on youtube they're like exactly. you're like jesus christ so yeah i think what you said is true you know once you saw what greg nicotero was able to do on that show consistently you yeah. know because it, i don't know that we saw it in a show like that before you know, where it was week in and week out, you had to produce amazing quality work. And yeah. it's at one point it was the most watched show on television. Everybody's watching. Yeah. So, you know, he knew he had to step it up and step it up. And uh, yeah, I think that that's a great point. Um, do you think that ha has there been an improvement in the type of makeup and things that they're using that's allowing it to be easier to do that stuff? Uh, yeah, definitely. And the availability of makeup. Um, I remember, you know, earlier in my career, finding makeup like at a local place or online was, you know, it was difficult. And now they have, you can buy anything that you need either online or in stores. And so I think in just the, um, 
I think of like the 3D transfers, just how quick and easy those are and they're available and cheap. And um, just the amount that of product and supplies that are available that were maybe a little harder to get before. And a lot and a lot of things are now available to more people to are user friendly and easier to use and stuff. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know one example for myself, um, you know, being like a horror obsessed person, my parents were always pretty cool with everything. And, you know, my dad loved doing the makeup on me and my brother. And uh, one year we went down to Caulfield's and we we got some special stuff. Uh, we got some of the liquid latex. And this is back in like, I don't know, 95. I think I was like, I don't know, at that point I would be 12. Yeah. Um. So. It wasn't you didn't have spirit Halloweens on every corner in the <laughs> yeah. the the the, uh, the spirit of a uh, former Walgreens. You know, anytime a business closed down, it's like the ghost of Christmas retail or something. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. just moving in. They're like Pier One just closed down up here, and then Spirit Halloween was like <laughs> jingling their fingers. Like, yeah, they're just waiting. <laughs> yeah, they're like get out. <laughs> so that wasn't really a thing, you know, yeah. at that point, and. um Halloween, I don't guess, was as commercial as it is now. So, like, we would have to go down to Caulfields to get that liquid latex and um, some of the other things like the uh, the uh, reusable prosthetics that you could use mm-hmm. and put on your face with that like latex and stuff. And, uh, you know, now it's like, they, I mean, hell, they got it at Walgreens. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah. And some I think, of that stuff's really not that. I mean, if you know how to use it right, you can get a pretty good effect from it so yeah we did i scared yeah. the crap out of my teacher uh in middle school <laughs> i showed up just like oh fun. i was like yep i, I tell my dad then he's like all right <laughs> so way to go dad <laughs> right <laughs> so I, I i know you know for my own you know just a regular consumer experience it's changed um so yeah i was just curious about that because i knew that you would have inside information on that um what is something that you do outside of being a horror fan? You know, cause you talked about um, just being a, a fan in general. What is something outside of that, that might surprise people? Do you like knit? Are you, do you collect <laughs> coins or something? <laughs> what might surprise people that, you know, associating you as it, the horror person? Well, I don't know if it would surprise people, but I'm a hiker and a runner and uh, I do a lot of volunteering. Um, a lot of like, I'm a coach for girls on the run, which is um, a pretty amazing organization that I'm involved with. And so I do a lot of like um, volunteering and um, advocacy and that kind of thing for different nonprofits. So, and I, it, that's kind of, I guess, I don't know that, you know, the Han industry is full of really good people. So I can't really say that, um, surprising for any of them to you know be that kind of thing but maybe it would be surprising to people but (laughs) i do all those things too it's a good cover so that you know people don't suspect the bodies in the basement things that it's exactly yeah i can hike them out to the woods that's right yeah (laughs) now why do you think i'm a teacher it's a great cover they're like oh he's a teacher bless his heart oh yeah right like yeah they never know (laughs) <laughs> that's what i'm doing <laughs> perfect um so uh i would love to know who or what uh what film you saw uh what happened in your life that you know sparked the bug 
uh, what happened that said, damn, this is this is the thing I want to do. This is the thing I want to be involved with uh, in relationship to horror. It was uh, I saw an American werewolf from London in that whole the werewolf transformation. I mean, I think that gets brought up with a lot of makeup artists, but it's it was just fascinating. And I wanted to learn how they did it. I wanted to learn just everything about. Um, I've always, I mean, I graduated with a, a film major um, and I love film. I love not only the makeup part, but just the whole process of making a movie. So um, I just, everything, I want to learn everything about it. So, um, but that movie was a, was a big one <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it was a big turning point for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think what John Landis did with that film was just, you know, fantastic. Yeah. You know, it really flipped the genre on its head and what you thought was possible. Uh, and of course, Rick Baker being an absolute legend in the industry, yeah. especially for special effects people, uh, actually had someone um, on another podcast. Shout out to my boy, Brian Rodman. Uh, he does a podcast called Dastardly Dingoes. And uh, this dick. Uh, he asked me to narrow it down to my five favorite horror films. I was like, well, how dare you? I don't know that I can do that. Um, but it came up in conversation. Um, he's like, which werewolf movie do you prefer? The Howling or an American Werewolf in London? That's such a tough question. And I told him the thing that that kind of differentiated it for me was the fact that Rick Baker decided to do that transformation scene in the daytime. So it's bright. It's well yeah. lit. Yeah. He's like, I didn't want to hide anything I was doing. He's like, I wanted to showcase everything. He's yeah. like, I wanted it all to be so good that when you shine a damn light on it, it'll look good. And I was like, well, you succeeded. There you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the coolest things uh, my wife and I got to experience, uh, if you haven't been, I've plugged this a couple of times. I'm expecting a check from them, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Universal's <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. Um, they had an American werewolf in London haunted house oh, and they did the transformation scene with animatronics live and in person. That's they, amazing. They broke it up over four rooms. So oh. you watched piece by piece, the transformation. It was one of the dopest things I've ever seen in my life in person. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah. My wife is not, she's not real familiar with that film. She's kind of like a newbie. Um, she's married to me, so she's like horror fan by proxy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she's you know, more into like the conjuring. She loves that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. But, yeah. She's a psychological horror fan, like Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, stuff like that. All uh, great films. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So yeah. she's got good taste still. Uh, but she had never seen that film. And uh, we went through that haunted house and she was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> And uh, she's like, can we go again? I was like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> I was like, that's why we're married. And we, hop out, and we went through it again. <laughs> so True love. <laughs> right, absolutely. Or love. <laughs> so if anybody ever gets the chance, get your butt down there uh, for that. Of course, this year they did not do it um, for yeah. obvious reasons, but uh, it was supposed to be the 30th anniversary. Oh no. Next year. Oh, fingers exactly. crossed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm supposed to be out of the country. Uh, we're going to be teaching abroad. I will come home for that uh, for sure. Cause they said that they're going to bring back um, their most popular haunts uh, based upon votes from the fans. So when we were there, 
Um, they had like on the app, you could go in and vote for your favorite haunted house and stuff like that. Uh, which Ash versus Evil Dead was amazing. Uh, that was a very fun haunted house. Uh, and they had one that was called, um, it was something about heaven and hell. Uh, what I remember from it, they had a, um, as a makeup person, you would love this. Holy crap. Uh, the dude had, or gal, I don't know. It was covered in <laughs> makeup. Uh, they had this crazy face that resembled um, one of the characters from Pan's Labyrinth uh, oh, wow. in a way. And then they had these huge wings that were maybe, I don't know, eight, 10 feet uh, in diameter. And they were set up on this harness rig and they swooped down at you. And it looked like, I mean, they were just going to land on you. And then, of course, really they cool. rose up. It was so cool. Yeah. So dope. Um, That'll so be yeah. on my bucket list next next year. If Do it. You yeah, know. you will not regret it. And if you're a Harry Potter fan, you get to kill two birds with one stone while you're there. Disney's got the Star Wars thing. So, I mean, yeah. it's like nerd-tacular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a fun way to close these out as I'm talking to people about horror and things of that nature, I realize that I always like hearing these stories. Um I have several of my own, of course, and uh, that is paranormal experiences. Uh, I'm always curious to, to know people's ghost stories and uh, creepy things that have happened to them. So share away. So I've got a few. Um, I've actually lived in a couple places that were haunted. Um, one mm. was a townhouse that we lived, me and my mom lived in that um, had a woman, an older woman. She was never harmful, never aggressive. You just saw her every once in a while. And then we had another townhouse. You Be can more see specific. Like, like apparition? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> no. Not, not pretty. Our definitions but are cool I or never, different. I never felt like afraid or anything ever. So, and then we lived in another townhouse that the previous owner was a hardcore smoker. And um, late at night, you could hear him coughing sometimes. And then my other experience was I was working on a movie that I don't think ever got made, but it was filmed at Waverly. And we shot the movie from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And so um, I did it like I every night when I'd walk in the makeup room, I, I would talk like say, hey, I'm here not here to bother you just here to do my job and you know let's let's (laughs) stay cool with each other and uh the only thing for the most part that i noticed was just temperature changes as the night went on around two or three in the morning the temperature would change but we were filming a scene um in the nurse section like where the and they were filming in front of me and i was kind of standing back in the dark and something kept tugging on my coat and it they did it i'd look and there was nothing there and that happened two or three times so that was my um i did a lot of like from the makeup room to wherever we were filming a lot of speed walking (laughs) through the whole (laughs) (laughs) but um so that was kind of that was a cool experience but i never felt like again i never felt threatened or freaked out or anything it was just um you definitely there there's some you definitely feel some presence in Waverly that's for sure <laughs> yeah I uh, I have my own Waverly story um, as so many people do um, we went up there for one of the haunted houses you know that they had they were hosting an actual haunted attraction uh, for years which you know 
but my listeners, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, home of one of the haunt, uh, most haunted places on the planet, allegedly, uh, Waverly, uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. And uh, they do an annual haunt up there normally. And uh, some friends and I had went up there and um, standing in line for the haunted house. Of course, you if you've ever been to one, there's usually a line. And as we're standing there, you know, we're all kind of uh, shooting the shit. And this was back before everybody had a uh, camera phone. Yeah. So we actually had a camera. It shows my age. Uh, I might as well be 100 <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so we had an actual camera. Imagine that. That you had to get film developed in. And uh, my buddy was taking pictures and uh, we were all there. And so he took the uh, the film out to get developed. And we noticed something weird when he got one of the pictures back uh, there at the front entrance. You know, there's this big, huge entrance. It's almost this Gothic style architecture for the front entryway for this place. It's beautiful. Just a beautiful building. And off to the sides, there's all these windows and things of that nature. And on the third floor, there was a little girl in a red dress that you could see clear as day. Yeah. She wasn't there. When you took the pictures, she would. Oh, nope. So that was gave me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> and, you know, you know, I, I try to be logical about that stuff. You know, I'm like, well, what is it an overexposure? Is it something from one of the other pictures that he took? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess it could be maybe if the pictures got mixed in with someone else's because none of his pictures included anybody in anything that resembled anything close to that. Uh, and it, the perfect placement, you know, she's right in the window. You know, if it was like floating, like sort of aimlessly in the middle of the picture, uh, you might be able to dismiss it, but it didn't didn't seem that way. Yeah. Um, so that was creepy. I remember seeing that picture and I'm like, gee, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, another year we went back, uh, I think two years later, my wife and I had decided to go uh, just us. And we went up there and as we were exiting, uh, we were coming into the last room. And there was the overwhelming, I mean, overwhelming, like choke you, uh, smell of rubbing alcohol. Oh, wow. Which, you know, it used to be a, a hospital. So that yeah. makes sense in that regard. Doesn't make sense in the regard of a haunted attraction. Why would they have rubbing alcohol? Um, so my wife and I like are choking and I was like, you smell that? And she's like, yeah, rubbing alcohol. And I go, yep. So that was pretty weird. I was like, hmm. uh, but that was it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. a neat place. Like you said, it's like, it's heavy. Um, yeah. You know, people say that and it sounds contrite or it sounds like, I don't know, goofy, but it is It's just, you know, what was there? Uh, 70,000 people that had died there. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, um, they say it's like that at Gettysburg when you go to the, uh, where the battle of Gettysburg um, unfolded, yeah. they said, it's just like, you can feel it. Have you ever gone to Melworth Art Center? I have, yeah. That has a vibe to it, too. Because I think that used to be a, a um, where they butchered, I think it used to be a meat plant before mm -hmm. it was. And so you always kind of get, I don't know, some areas of that place, you get a little bit of a vibe, I think. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You know, Because, you know, all the old exposed brick as you walk back there uh, through... Yeah. Uh, there's art studios there and little booths and things like that, like a, a mini flea market there. And it's yeah. some of those back parts of that are, yeah, kind of, <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> if I created dolls or something, I wouldn't want to work there. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm out. 
Well, um, this last part is for you. Uh, as uh, someone who works in the industry, I would love for you to promote yourself. Um, tell the uh, the listeners what you got going on so that they can go find your work and appreciate what you do. Thank you. Um, right now, I'm working on um, a movie called On a Dark and Bloody Ground. Um, we're currently in production. Uh, we had a short break due to COVID. So um, hopefully that plans come out in 2021. Um, and so there's a Facebook page. Um, so go and like that and support that. And then I also worked on a movie by Brian Cunningham and Janelle Nash called, uh, the fall of Usher. And that should be in post-production right now. That was, um, based on Poe, of course, his life and some of his work. So that was a really fun one. So hopefully that'll be out soon too. So, um, and then just keep supporting, women and keep supporting the haunt industry and filmmakers, local filmmakers. And, um, and thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Autumn, it was great chit chat with you. I love you any fellow horror, uh, fan aficionado. I think it's great. Uh, I also think it's awesome just to, to know how much, um, it, women impact the industry. Uh, I was telling you before we started just how much I'm learning uh, myself. You know, I, I always kind of knew it in the back of my head, but, you know, getting into the research and talking to people uh, like you and some of the other females that I've talked to in the industry, I'm just blown away by the talent and the dedication and the fandom uh, that is just so uniting uh, in the industry. It's just great. <clears throat> so thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. And thanks for having me and uh, take care. You too. <laughs> Our next guest is Deandra Laser. She is a self-proclaimed Nightmare on Elm Street expert, horror enthusiast, and fellow podcaster. Amidst our chat, we discussed our varying passions for many things within the genre in general. We also discussed how she convinced everyone in her office jobs that she is a badass because of her affinity for horror. And we close out our conversation with her sharing a possession story that was rather unnerving. I hope you can make it through our chat without chickening out before you make it to the end. My name is Deandra Laser, and I am mostly, I do love horror in general. Uh, my favorite genre happens to be the slashers, uh, which brings me to my, the reason that I got into horror, which was A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that is the area that I've done a lot of stuff in. I started out cosplaying Nancy Thompson, who is my favorite character of all time. And that kind of opened the door to the rest of A Nightmare on Elm Street for me. I have a podcast right now called Elm Street Radio that I do with a friend who's actually the director of a documentary we're also working on called Fred Heads about the culture of A Nightmare on Elm Street and fans and the impact that it's had on them. It's really the story of the fans. There are some of the actors in it, but it's mostly about the fans. 
And I spend most of my days just posting about Freddy Krueger, talking about Freddy Krueger, collecting everything about Freddy Krueger. And if anybody out there is subscribed to Fangoria, the new version, there's a chance that you may have read my story in volume two, issue two with Joe Bob on the front, the um, section that's called Lifers, which says, I think it's called Becoming Nancy, is my story. So I got a chance to be a part of the Fangoria legacy and that was a huge honor for me. So that is just a little bit about myself. Basically in a nutshell, what I could have said is just, I'm the Nightmare on Elm Street girl. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you just put yourself into such a small box, (laughs) even though it's a fun one. (laughs) I love that. Uh, That's absolutely awesome. Uh, Fangoria is been subscribed to them for years, them and uh, Rue Morgue and uh, Horror Hound off and on. Uh, I went back and started collecting all the older issues. Uh, so I went back and found like uh, when they showcased certain films that I love and would find those and collect those. So I have like hundreds of issues of that. Uh, absolutely love their magazines. Great. Um, so one of the ways that I like to start these conversations, I think it's just a good way um, for people to uh, help people lay to rest some of the assumptions that people make. Um, so we had talked a little bit about this before we started the uh, hit the record button. Um, what are some of the assumptions that people make about you based upon uh, the things that you do for your day job and the fact that you are a female who is so heavily involved in the horror world? I was... I'm going to go back a little bit. I was raised Catholic. I wanted to be a nun growing up. I was not really allowed to watch horror movies, although occasionally around Halloween, I would catch my parents watching something and I would watch it with them. I always had a fascination with Halloween because my birthday is in October, but I was still afraid of everything. I didn't really like horror. I kind of didn't really think that much about it. I My cousin liked the Universal Monsters. So my grandma had the VHS tapes of Frankenstein and the Wolfman and I would watch those, but I still never got into any other horror movies. It was just something that I was not equipped to handle growing up. And my parents always had, I it's kind of a small town, but it's not a rural town where I came from. And so, They always raised me to believe that certain careers and certain personality traits were valuable, pretty much your suburban family values. And I kind of grew up thinking that that was the okay thing to do. Of course, once I hit high school, I became a horror fan and that kind of changed, but that thought still stuck with me. And so I tried to put on this kind of two personas, one person who was myself as a horror fan, which isn't necessarily too different from the person that I am every other time. I just am that person. I just don't talk about horror, but people, I wanted people to see me as somebody who was professional, somebody who was kind and sweet and had all the, had a good head on her shoulders. And then I would tell them that I'm a horror fan and they would be taken aback. And they thought, is that like really a thing or people really like a big fan of it. I, I know that there are Star Wars fans out there, but I've never really heard of horror movie fans before. And they thought it was evil. My grandma still, even to this day says, Oh, it's just a fad. You'll get over it. <laughs> 
but they think it's evil and it's not good and it attracts negativity even being online and some of the different fandoms that I've gotten into have attracted different people from those fandoms who aren't necessarily horror fans and I've tried to have people preach to me about turn to God then this unhappiness you have that will be taken away. <laughs> it just, no, don't come at me with that. Listen, I wanted to be a nun, like I said, growing up. That doesn't really work on me. But people don't really see it because, and a lot of people, I've had it in my office until I, I broke the news and now it's just out free flying everywhere. But people saw me as somebody who was well put together, pretty professional, bold, pretty honest, but quirky, a little bit different than everybody else, but they didn't really expect the horror thing because of, because I, I wear a lot of black, but I, I, I guess I don't look like they would assume a horror fan to look. I will wear, I mean, I, I, I'm, a lot of people think horror fans are all covered in tattoos and all they wear is black and they have green hair and most of the time they do. I have <laughs> tattoos. I wear a lot of black, but it, I don't think people, what people think a horror fan is lined up with what I am, even though I have a lot of those personality traits. It's just they might've thought that they were really weird. Maybe they're mean, maybe they're kind of creepy. I'm not entirely sure. I've never actually asked anybody like, what do you think a horror fan looks like? <laughs> what do you think they act like? I've never yeah. really asked anybody. That would be a really good question to they ask just, people on the street. They just know that you're not the picture. Yes, I'm just, I'm not yeah. the picture. They don't have an idea a lot of times. Like yeah. I, I've encountered that as well because uh, you know I, we talked about I teach and, uh, you know, for the first two months of school, uh, I wear a suit every single day. Uh, I wear a suit and tie. Um, you know, I went to school for that. It's the profession that I wanted to do. So I want to look professional and I want to show the kids what professionalism looks like to me. And uh, so the first time that I wear a polo or something of that nature and I ex uh, expose the tattoos that I have, my kids are always taken aback. They're always like, what you, why you got all these tattoos? What? Oh, and they're scary movies, you know? And then they learn that part about me as we kind of get to know each other. And then, you know, once we get into Halloween, I dress up, uh, last year, Friday, uh, was a ha Halloween fell on a Friday. So every day that week I wore a different costume. Uh, the first day I was the, the, uh, the old lady from insidious. And then I was, uh, Texas chainsaw massacre, uh, which, I oftentimes just ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Uh, I wasn't sure how much I sh could do. And so I just did it. And then the kids loved it. They're like coming to my room before the day starts to see what I'm dressed as that day. And I'm like, I got my door shut and it's covered so that they'll get surprised when they come to class. But yeah, like you're not, you're not wrong at all. Like they don't know specifically, like should we all have piercings in our nose and wear spiked dog collars every day? I don't know what the hell you're expecting, but I guess yeah. it's not a professional wearing a suit or a young lady yeah. who looks professional. And a lot of people, like I said, I mean, a lot of people do look like that. And to be honest, every mm -hmm. time I see them, I'm like, you're so pretty. I follow <laughs> them everywhere. I follow so many beautiful Morticia looking goth girls on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And I Absolutely. just, I just oogle over them because they're so fabulous. I of course could not pull it off like them. But 
I love, I love, love, love the way they look. But yeah, I'm like you, I wear a suit every day. I work in a pretty square office. Everybody has your normal, I'm, I'm a father of four and I like to golf on the weekends. And <laughs> I too like to work in the yard and play tennis. Like that's what they, they all, I'm not even kidding you though. Every single one of the guys wears like Patagonia vests and they all talk about golf like i'm i I ask people jokingly but also kind of serious if they had to check that off in order to be hired (laughs) but Uh, your handicap well i got a 95 really i'm I'm good at that it's going to be better all right yeah but everybody in the office is everybody is very everybody is interesting Everybody has a story. Everybody has something that makes them unique. Some people more than others. And that's where us horror fans fall into. But yeah, I definitely stick out like a sore thumb. And my boss told me once she, well, she, now she's my boss's boss. Cause we restructured our, our marketing team. And she said, you know, Deandre, you're different than everybody else around here. I was like, good. Exactly. I add some spice to this vanilla world. I and I said, I never want to blend in. And she said, you don't? I said, heck no. Life is for living and being yourself. I never want to blend in. And I've spent too much time in my life. I tried to go through that phase. I didn't fit in that box. I will never fit in that box. Spent so much time being comfortable. And heck yeah, if people are afraid of me, good. Get out of my way. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, I I know that I'm different and I think people look at me differently now that I've told everybody that I'm a big horror fan because we had a presentation at my work where people are introducing themselves to everybody else and they're talking about their interests. I have a dog. And I wanted to kind of fool them, I guess, and maybe play a little bit with I was one of the first I was in the first two people to go and it goes two people at a time so I was in the first presentation group and I wanted to hit them with the hello this is where I went to high school this is what I did in high school (laughs) and this is where I went to college and then I wanted to flip the script so it was pretty normal and I said oh and by the way the reason I'm here is because of Freddy Krueger and everyone was (laughs) like what 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 and then I flipped the slide and I just showed them pictures of me in blood and talking and horror shirts and with pictures of Freddie or Jason or whatever. And audibly the whole crowd went, oh my God, there were people walking around, like putting their hand over their face. <laughs> the CEO got in front and went, oh my God. Afterward, he gave me a high five and he goes, yes, yes this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. It made me feel so great to have the leadership really take an interest in myself. Some of the board members were there. The board chair was there. He really liked what I had to say, which made me feel really good. And um, his wife, the CEO's wife, even at the Christmas party, pulled me aside and goes, oh, you're DeAndre. You gave that presentation. My husband really loved it. And I thought, wow, it's even gotten to the wife. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's when you know it's real. I only talk to my wife about things that are interesting. And I think that, like you said, man, it adds flavor. Uh, And if, if anybody's listening to this and there's anything you can take away from all the conversations that I've had, be honest, be true to yourself. I know it might sound fucking cliche. I don't care. 
be be true to yourself. And if that's your thing and that's your jam, be that because people are going to respect that more than you just trying to fit into the status quo, because there's so many damn people doing that. And like you said, stand out, go against the current, go against the grain and don't be afraid, you know, and I've never met a stranger. I'm always, I'm going to find something to bond with people about, but I'm always going to be myself. My wife actually said something to me earlier. She's like, you're just telling me what I want to hear. And I go, when the fuck have I ever done that? (laughs) You know, who do I do that to? I was like, not my principal, not my assistant principal. They're like, what do you think? And I'm like, Oh boy, you ready? (laughs) You know, because you're going to get the answer. I'm going to give it to you, you know? And I think that that you find that so often, with horror fans. It yeah. seems that so frequently, and you know, of course I can't always paint with a broad brush. This doesn't apply. Nothing can ever apply to everybody, but in my experience, it seems as though horror fans are truer to them, truer to themselves because we are kind of outcast still, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes mm-hmm. you deal, you're still dealing with those assumptions that, you know, you and I talked about this before we hit record on this issue as well. A lot of times it's not seen as art. A lot of times it's seen as lesser and it it's hilarious to me. You know, if you look at some of the most profitable films, you know, and that also gets into exploitation of the genre by Hollywood, unfortunately, but some of the most creative things that you've seen come out are things like paranormal activity which, you know, cost $12,000 to make and went on to make $238 million or something like that. One of the most profitable films of all time, you know, and it's because those those individuals, which I think it was maybe like 100 people that were involved making that movie, and they went on to just do this crazy thing. And the genre is so creative because there's so many people involved with it. It's near and dear to them. Uh, you know, and some of the greats start there, you know, Steven Spielberg, he, you know, with duel. And then you had Brian De Palma, man. Uh, there's just so many people that are great. that are involved with the genre Guillermo de Toro. And, you know, some of the people that we think are the, some of the best artists as far as creation of film. And they're in the horror genre. They get their start there. You know, and it just seems it seems odd that we keep coming back to those same stereotypes and those same tropes because, I, you know, I think we know it's not true. Yeah. And like I was telling you before, we were rolling about Patty Cake Productions and they did the tribute to Thriller with Bump in the Night, which just came out. And they have all the different horror characters and Halloween characters in there. And the young girl in the front just kind of ignores the horror movie that some of the other characters are watching because she has this perception that it's some dumb blonde getting killed and running away. And it's just a very shallow trashy genre that has nothing to it rather than to just be evil or sexual or um, anti-feminist, you know, anything of that nature. There's just all kinds of negative perceptions about it. But that's one of the pleasures of being a horror fan is not only do you get to rock people's world with maybe telling them that you're a horror fan, but also in kind of dispelling some of those myths and saying this is really what it's about is psychology, symbolism, cultural commentary, all these sorts of things. And uh, horror is just a very exciting 
genre. And I know some people will say, oh, those things aren't scary. But I feel that a lot of the people who say that are, are typically people who are too afraid to, to sit down and watch horror. It's kind of their way to deflect how they really feel about it because horror makes us feel uncomfortable or excited. For me, I, I equate it to roll, riding a roller coaster. You get that thrill, Absolutely. but from a safe, safe space, unless of course you're in Final Destination 3, then you might die. But other than that, <laughs> <You're right. Exactly. laughs> other than that, it's thrilling. It's very big, big thrill. I think the the one point that you you brought into there, uh into that that whole um bit there is the social commentary aspect of it. Uh there's a new film called The Hunt. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Holy crap. It was such a surprise. My favorite film probably of 2020 that I've seen. Yeah, it was great because it takes the notions and the presumptions of political affiliations and flips them on their head. You know, so it's like everything that you thought you assumed about Republicans then becomes everything that they're putting on Democrats. And it was it's so relevant uh, and it was so funny Uh, It was poignant and I mean, it it was just wonderful. And then if you look at the things that Jordan Peele's doing uh, with us and with Get Out, uh, I'm a little bit more fond of Get Out, but I I love and respected what he tried to do with us. Um, I mean, he's definitely talking about race issues. And um, uh, one of the people I bring up a lot, Nathan Milner, uh, he talked about the car ride up in the uh, opening sequence of us. He said he cried. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, because it was the first time that you saw in a horror film, a black family just being a black family. They weren't portrayed as any sort of weird stereotype. Uh, They were just normal. They were just a family. That was it. And he's like, it was beautiful. He's like, you'd never really seen that before. There was no exploitation in it. He was like, it was just great. And I was like, damn, that's. And then I started thinking it back and I'm like, yeah, I guess he's right. And you you see films like Night of the Living Dead. He put a black hero in that film to save a bunch of white people. You know how unprecedented that was at the time that George A. Romero decided to do that. So we're talking about people in this genre that do things that are not just surprising in the fact that they're trying to scare you, that they're trying to be provocative or that it's trying to be uh, overly sexual. You know, we're talking about pushing societal norms and race and gender, uh, all sorts of things, you know, and oftentimes they're doing it before other people are because the genre is kind of outcast already. So they're like, well, fuck it. What do we got to lose? So that's kind of the beauty of it in that way as well. So there's just so many different things like I could wax poetic about this stuff all day. Um, and I, I completely agree with you on all the things that, you know, people miss. And this takes me into a question uh, that I want to get to you in your obsession with Nightmare on Elm Street. I think that Wes Craven in his discussions of that film and its and its, its success was him talking about horror movies taking on things that are universal because fear is universal. And we talked a a little bit about this as well. Every culture throughout human history has something that they're scared of. Some otherworldly being uh, that's in the, the folklore that's in the, the tales of of times gone by, you know, here in America, we have a ton, 
you know, you have the New Jersey Devil, you have the Mothman. Uh, if you get down into New Mexico and Arizona, you have things like the Chupacabra. Uh, if you go down into uh, Mexico, you have uh, La Llorona. Uh, you have a ton. There's so many examples. And fear is something that is ingrained in all of us. We all are scared of something. And he talked about he was looking for an idea that would be even more universal than that. He's like, even the people that won't admit they're scared of something dream. He's like, at some point you've dreamed. And he's like, at some point something has happened in your dream that scared you, whether or not you want to admit it or not, you've had a bad dream. And he's like, so that is, you know, what were the success really lied with that series? So that brings my, my question to you is what drew you, drew you to that series specifically? Like, what was it about Nightmare on Elm Street that drew you and is something that you had a lifelong passion for? I'm curious. The first thing was, so I became a fan through a dream, randomly had a Freddy dream, somehow woke up, was like, oh, okay. I think I'm curious about this now. Knew basically not that much about it. Had seen a couple of bits and pieces on TV. Went and rented Freddy's Dead. was the first one I saw all the way through. And it was so much fun. And for me, just coming out of absolutely will not watch horror into Freddy's Dead, I thought, oh, this is so much fun. It's spooky, but it's very interesting. I really like the characters and the way that they relate to each other. Uh, Tracy was able to kick butt and I always loved a good, strong female character. And then I watched Freddy versus Jason and I loved that. Fun still, tons of fun, tons of fun. Then I think I got to part four. Listen, I jumped around a lot. And eventually, because I was putting off part one because I knew that it was the scariest because I'd seen bits and pieces of it on TV and I was just not equipped to handle it. So I put it in and I saw Nancy Thompson and she was, and by then I'd seen Freddy's dead. And so I knew that everything took place in Ohio, which is where I live. And I thought, wow, there's this girl next door who doesn't have the best sense of fashion because I was not a fashion queen back in the day and who had big poofy brown hair, which is what I had back then. And her friends were, she didn't have a lot, but she had some close friends. And it just reminded me of myself. She was not really quiet a little bit, but she was also very feisty and she went after what she wanted and she stood up for herself and she didn't listen to what other people said. She went with her heart and she tried to protect others. And I was really drawn to the character of Nancy through that. And then I began to watch the other movies and they were just tons of fun, but, and I loved the characters because I loved the teens. I love how they related to each other. I love that they were so different. I love that Sheila was a black nerd and that they had this kind of punk girl in part four who was, well, not really punk. She was more rock and roll, but she loved to work out. Or you had Rick who was into karate. You had um, Alice Kincaid. who was a mom and Kincaid. Oh, and damn. he just had, he was, he has some of my favorite lines. You've got Joey, who's a mute and, and, and Will who's in a wheelchair, just all these different characters who are not one dimensional and who have, even if they aren't around that long, they have something that makes them different, makes them relatable. And I really love that about A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then once I started to watch documentaries or interviews or read about it, 
and I got to hear some of the thought that went behind it or what people assumed about the different films that Freddie represents that fear in a different way, whether it is somebody having to confront their homosexuality or dealing with drugs or dealing with teen parenthood, whatever it might be, having loved to analyze things since I was, when I was in high school through English class, I really felt like the horror genre was something that wasn't just what it seems on the surface. It's something so much deeper that there's psychology about it and just reading and analyzing and, and watching over again and then saying, oh, maybe this is a possibility and just being able to kind of get creative with how you perceive the films or what you take away from them and what it means and maybe some of the headcanon you come up with. I thought there was a lot of that within A Nightmare on Elm Street and Nancy really anchored me to the franchise, but there was so much more in it. And then once I decided to venture outside of A Nightmare on Elm Street, I also discovered that in the genre itself, that it's so much deeper than people think it is on the surface. And I, I just love the heck out of that. But yeah, A Nightmare on Elm Street, it's just been very fascinating, very visual, um, just lots of fun, lots of fun. And so I love it. And Freddie is so iconic. He's scary, but he's, he can be funny. Um, and the glove is such a beautiful, unique weapon that I, I love everything about the films. They just speak to me. Yeah, I there's so many things that drew me to the franchise as well. Um, I I start I kind of started from the beginning. Um, I remember you, it's funny that you bring up Freddy's Dead, the first one. Uh, there was a movie theater here in Louisville that is long gone. Um, that um, my parents took me to. It was one of my first horror films that I got to see at the theater, and it was in 3D. So it was Freddy's Dead 3D, and it was just so fun with all the goofy little things that they had set up just for the the 3d scares like the the claw jutting out at the audience and things of that nature but it was such a blast uh and that film is just such a romp uh you know it's it's never takes itself too seriously you know uh the references that you know are all incredibly dated now but it was so quintessential 90s uh with the references to the power glove and things of that nature and it was just so much fun and then starting with the series, and uh, I just remember as a, as a kid, always gravitate, gravitating toward the character of Fred Krueger because he was witty. And I didn't relate as much to Halloween or Jason. I know it, it might be horror blasphemy to other people, but uh, that was the reason that I liked Fred Krueger and the reason that I liked uh, Pinhead from Hellraiser because they had things to say to scare you. Uh, you know, it wasn't just this haunt, haunted mask that was just following you and always kept up with you no matter how fast you ran. Um, there was literally no escaping Fred and there was literally no escaping Pinhead, period. You weren't, it wasn't even going to be a, a chase because uh, they were just there. You were not going to escape. And I love that. To me, it just worked so much better. Um not not taking anything away from you know what John Carpenter did uh, or what the you know Friday the 13th series did those are great as well in their own respects but I just I don't know I'm with you I like the wit you know I like the fact that he could be funny like uh, 
uh, one of my favorite lines is welcome to primetime bitch. When he pulls, um, Oh God, what was her character's name? And, and Jennifer, uh, Jennifer. So in nightmare on Elm street three, when he pulls her into the television set and it's just, Oh, what a cool kill scene, just a great visual. Uh, and that was another thing. Uh, it was all artistic, you know, and the kill sequences um, when Joey is making his way through the hallways uh, with his veins uh, and, you know, the idea of a marionette, it's all very beautiful. Like the art design of that is just astounding. Uh, that was one of the most impactful scenes I remember from a horror film is the uh, the silhouette of Fred Krueger over the, the uh, hospital and cutting the veins on Joey as he falls over the thing. And uh, they do that time and time again. That happens. The junkyard scene uh, where Fred uh, Fred's bones are buried. And it just the scene of all the lights coming on and it's just and the peeing dog. With oh yeah. And the pee. peeing dog and the flames. <laughs> yeah. It's, and then it, it's comical. So it's, it's really nice how they worked that in. They kind of took like a Marvel movie approach to it realistically because they're sprinkling in because let's, let's be honest. If you look at the Avengers films and all those things that surround that, it's all very heavy. So you can see what DC's doing where everything is, too angsty, too dark, and Marvel's dashing in the humor. And that's kind of what the Nightmare on Elm Street films did. It's incredibly scary, but they dash in this humor to kind of like not be too inside itself, not take itself too seriously. And that and that was another thing that I always thought uh, that was good because, you know, a lot of the things that happen in those films is, is freaking ridiculous. So it's good to not take itself too seriously. That's what's great about, you know, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and things of that nature. I think it's good when a horror film understands itself. Yeah. You know, and I think that that series does it well. I think there are a lot of people out there who prefer the scarier versions and and that's totally okay. I know when it comes to Evil Dead, it's funny that you say that. My boyfriend prefers the first to any of the other variations to army of darkness whereas i love army of darkness and particularly i love ash versus evil dead i thought it was the perfect mashup of action darkness humor i loved everything about it it is to me the the perfect way for me to watch any kind of Ash Williams film um, or just rather entertainment since it was a TV show. Um, and, but that's okay. I mean, if people like the seriousness, that's just a personal taste, but I still feel that Freddie looks scary in them and they're still very poignant. I mean, part five, despite for whatever reason, it being my least favorite, I cannot tell you why. Cause every time I watch it, I still think, I don't know why I don't like this one as much, but it deals with a very, very serious issue of teen pregnancy and what to do with it. And, the death of the father and the parents trying to take the kid away, that, that sort of thing. I mean, it's very, very, very dark, serious issues, but a lot of it is just, and that's the one other thing about Freddie is that he takes the issues that kids are dealing with and he just tosses them back in their face and he thrives off of whatever it is. So, um, and, and that is one thing that also makes him sinister, even if he does make jokes, because he's, I mean, he's having fun and getting stronger at other people's expense, but that he, he is taking what teens are afraid of or dealing with, and he is using them to his advantage. So I always thought that that was very interesting because it wasn't just 
maybe one long story it all they all had something else to say about the lives of teens and I think even though Alice is I mean Nancy is my favorite Alice I think has the best character arc out of anybody in the franchise because she goes from this meek mousy girl and she just becomes so much stronger and then she becomes a woman and a mom and I I just love I love that about them and I've seen all of the all of the Halloweens, all the Friday the 13th, all the different films. And maybe I'm missing something because I haven't delved in as much. I mean, but but those kinds of aspects of the Nightmare on Elm Street characters are what make that franchise so interesting to me. I love it. I think it really sets them apart. Yeah. And I think that the the notion of exposing insecurity is incredibly powerful because none of us want that. Uh, we all have these things that we keep, you know, sort of wrapped up tight inside that we might not let anybody know, including and like uh, being a horror fan sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, keep it to the chest, mm-hmm. wear long sleeves for me. <laughs> so, but yeah, like, and especially as a teen, you know, working with teenagers on a daily basis, there's such an identity crisis. I mean, they have no idea who they are. Uh, all they want in this world is just to fit in. You know, they want to find that group, that click that they belong to so that they can just feel normal, you know, whatever that may be for them, you know, and Fred, you know, Freddie just exposing that, you know, in their dreams. He's like, oh, yeah, you want to be this. And that's the thing where you think you belong. Well, you're wrong, you know, and just exploiting that. It's just it's awful. Um, But I think that's what also makes it interesting you know, because we're taking that face on as audience members. We say, yes, I understand how crazy this can be, but I'm going to look at it in the face because that worries the crap out of me and I'm going to face it. I'm going to sit in this theater by choice and tackle that, you know, tackle that, that piece of myself that I'm not comfortable with, you know? And, and I think that that's another beautiful part of the whole horror genre is, you know, meeting these things that make you uncomfortable time and time again, by choice. Yeah. And uh, there have been some studies given the recent pandemic. Another one I saw some another post today about horror fans being better equipped to deal with the shift and the life that we have going on because of uh, how we've been able to deal with anxiety and stress and preparing for moments like this, given that we sometimes watch apocalyptic movies. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I mean, there is there is a lot to be said about dealing with anxiety and just being able to make your way through difficult parts in life because you do have all that experience with horror of overcoming monsters, dealing with stressful situations, picking up the hammer and facing your fear, whatever it might be. We, we love it and we watch it constantly and it's really shaped how we approach life. And I think that's why part of the reason that not only being outsiders and having to fight to say, this is me, this is who I am, you're gonna love me or get the hell out. But at the same, I mean, at the same time, I mean, there's that fighting spirit of fighting for who you are and who you believe in. And we are fighters and we, so many of us have been outcasts, but we're so smart, so interesting, have so many different things going on, whether it's making art, cosplay, filmmaking, writing, having it impact the way that you teach just all these different things, the way that horror has changed our life. I think it is amazing and not everybody understands how something so 
I guess pause, not really that positive, if you could say, because technically there are people dying and there's blood splattering everywhere, but that has positive effects, stories of triumph, stories that tell you about the human soul and everything going on around us that we aren't willing to put into words or films put into art and they put it in front of us. And whether or not people, I mean, horror fans might be able to recognize why something makes us uncomfortable, but the regular movie moviegoer won't, but they'll just know that that makes them uncomfortable. And somehow there's that relief. It's like them facing their fears, but they can't quite put their finger on what it is. That's why there's a lot of home invasion movies during like 9-11 or having the slasher movies during the time when people are saying teen culture is really bad. I mean, just going in and, and being able to address a lot of this turmoil on screen is something that makes horror movies so great and it really has a positive impact on a lot of people because horror like 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 um Wes Craven has said horror movies don't create fear they release it and it is it's very very true and so I think that's it's part of what makes horror fans so special is is our ability to overcome a lot of things and address things that other people aren't comfortable talking about. Yeah. I I'm curious to know your thoughts. Um, having been a fan for a while now, uh, how do you think the industry has shifted uh, over the course of you being into the genre? What changes have you seen? More quality in non Hollywood films, even though I think that that's always kind of been there. Um, I think people are just, using the internet more so to their advantage right now. And they're making other things well known that you might not know about. And I think the internet has played a really huge part in the world of horror impacting what we talk about, impacting how we tell stories, impacting who we connect with. I think that a lot of people are very involved online now and seeing new art, more so than there has been in the past because people will say, oh, there, there's a lot of remakes. There's a lot of this, that, and the other thing. I mean, yeah, there's some, but really there's so much horror content out there. Netflix, Hulu, Shudder. It's incredible. There's, there's all kinds of stories, but they really are, I think more so, whereas in the previous decades, horror kind of didn't exactly touch on certain culture subjects in your face and say, this is a problem. They introduced it in a symbolic way or in a metaphoric way. Whereas today they just slap it in your face and they say, racism, horror movie about it. Just <laughs> yeah. put it straight out there. I think people are a lot more bold in addressing a lot of these things. And some people are not comfortable. Some people will say horror is not political. <laughs> You look back and you go, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, it has always it. been political and it has always talked about society. Always. Just now it's a little more obvious than it has been before. Frankenstein. Frankenstein was a lot. Uh, it became a product of the time as, 
you know, there was an influx of people coming in uh, with that film being made in, uh, I think it was 1931 in the original, uh, you know, and then you're dealing with influx of people coming in from Europe as the wars are ravishing through the countries there. There's a lot of people coming in and Frankenstein is very much representative of the other. Uh, and, you know, that was one of the in the original tale with Mary Shelley. She, you know, that's one of the things that she's putting in there thematically is the idea and the notions of other. Um, especially as her maybe being credited as writing one of the first true horror novels. Uh, she was definitely seen as an outsider. So she understood what it was to be the other in one of the most, you know, profound ways. A woman now, and a horror writer. Exactly. And one of the best ones uh, still holds up to this day. It's pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, it tackles that all the time. And then you see shows uh, like now, like you said, it's coming out and being much more in your face uh, with Lovecraft Country. Um, I can't give enough positive words uh, to describe, you know, everything that that, that show is bringing to light uh, and also doing so in a horrifying way. A beautiful fantasy and science fiction. It's just wonderful. And, you know, again, Jordan Peele, you know, just a little way more in your face about it. Um, but yeah, there's political issues in there all the time. Scream. Scream talked about it and it, it talked about the apathy that we were encountering as a society and also the the fame that we instill upon people uh, that are murderers and serial killers and things of that nature. So it addressed some heavy social commentary um, that maybe other other genres hadn't in that way, um, you know, by having people going in and actually doing the thing, you know, and then talking about it, you know, so. I think that you're totally right. And then I think also technology has been a huge part. Uh, you talked about a film uh, called. Um, oh Host. Host. Yeah. So oh. it's like we get this unique time uh, in the world, you know, where everybody's quarantined, everybody's stuck at home. And these people go and shoot a film on Zoom. Like what? And they did, they did it very quickly because that movie came out at the beginning of the quarantine. So maybe in a month or so, they said to themselves, well, we're sitting at home anyway. Let's make a movie, you know, with what? Well, we got Zoom, yeah. you know, you've and got, you've got movies like, what is it? Dead Con, I think it was on Shutter. I think that was the oh, name about yeah. uh, influencers and they were at some kind of convention or you have like friend request or unfriended just black mirror Ooh, there's a new black one mirror. called uh the cleansing hour which i just mm -hmm. watched which was awesome uh the guy's basically uh he has all these instagram followers and he does a live exorcism every week oh and uh of course it's all bullshit uh, he's staging it and uh, but of course, the fans don't know that they're eating it up. And then, of course, it flips and, you know, you get all this in the trailer. I'm not spoiling anything. And then it flips. Uh, something happens to where a spirit gets pissed off that they're kind of mocking this whole thing and then come on and just wreck his life. And uh, it was wild. It was awesome. Uh, that very, reminds me of the book, The Blood. Did you uh, see it? When, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. The remake oh, of that is on really Hulu. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I just watched it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I like that one or the original better. I, I, I can't really. It's different. Uh, they treated yeah. this one much more like an anthology. Uh, and they, the other one uh, that was made, I actually have the signed poster on my wall. Uh, I can't remember when that one was made. I want to say like, oh, five or something like that. Different takes. So it made it kind of fun. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing just how much horror is able to address. Um, and I love it for that, you know, and it does so in, you know, movies like the green Inferno where we talk about, you know, he's giving commentary. Eli Roth is, you know, kind of commenting on the fact that, uh, you know, we don't want to leave anything sacred. You know, and we kind of pay for that, you know, because these people decide to go out and meet these, uh, you know, aboriginal people that have never seen other people before from outside of that village. And they really pay the price for it. And it's like, maybe some things should be left alone. I, I know that it's in ingrained in human beings to uh, explore and things of that nature, but maybe we should leave it alone sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I haven't seen the green inferno yet. Cause I, one of my, one of my areas that makes me uncomfortable in horror is cannibalism, but I watched cannibal Holocaust, which I thought I was going to hate. And I said, I really enjoy this movie and I will watch it again and skip over the animal parts, but I really enjoy this movie and uh, they deserve everything that's coming to them. So I will have to watch the green inferno because everybody always talks about it and cannibal Holocaust. So yeah. I'm sure I will just love the heck out of it. You would. Cause I mean, it's, it's homage to cannibal Holocaust, you know, because of course, Eli Roth being such a fan of the genre, you know, he grew up loving that film. I mean, it, you know, with Cannibal Holocaust being a film that was banned in like 40 countries, uh, you know, the allure is there. You're like, oh, I have to see it now. Uh, and uh, the director actually going on trial for murder uh, because he had told the actors, uh, for those anybody listening that doesn't know about Cannibal Holocaust, the director went on trial for murder uh, because he had told the actors he picked some lower level actors and he told them that part of their contract, they had to kind of disappear like not do any promotional stuff and all of it in, in a goal to kind of make it seem real. So like maybe these people actually did disappear in a village. So he had to go on trial for murder and call these actors out. Um, they did get in trouble. As you mentioned, the animal parts, they do kill real animals in the film. Uh, of course they did. The, it's a product of the time coming out in the seventies, a lot of stuff that they can't, couldn't possibly do today. Um, I don't know if you've seen this film, and let me preface this before I even mention this. Uh, I gave I gave this begrudgingly to a friend, and I, I I told him I was like I'm not telling you to watch this. I'm not I'm not gonna because I'm not saying it's a good movie. I'm just saying it's the most messed up thing I've ever seen on film. Uh, what 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 movie do you, if you had to guess what movie am I about to say? Either Martyrs or a Serbian film. <laughs> You nailed it. Uh, a Serbian <laughs> film. Yeah. And Martyrs, I absolutely adore. Uh, it's actually a good movie. A Serbian film is not. Uh, <laughs> it's just um, it's a film where they did the worst things that you could ever imagine just to do them. Uh, and uh, I will say that everything that people had said about it, about how crazy it is, it's all true. So if you are looking for something for sheer shock value and you don't care as much about a uh, sensical plot, uh, yeah, we'll go watch the Serbian film, but uh, be warned everything that you could ever think would be the most awful thing put on film is what they did. <laughs> so, but martyrs is who martyrs is crazy. Um, so, um, we get, we could just give film reviews all night. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> but I would love for you to share, uh, some of your inspirations. Uh, I know that you've talked about your love, uh, for Nightmare uh, on Elm Street, obviously. But were there things that kind of sparked the flame before that? 
before you had that dream? Were there people in your life that really loved horror uh, that kind of inspired you? I know you grew up Catholic. Um, so I'm curious to know, was there some sort of spark before that dream that you had? I think I've just always been fascinated by spooky things. Like I said, my birthday is in October, but even outside of that, I think those stories just always intrigued me because I always wanted to know what was going to happen next. It really did start when I watched the Universal Monster movies that my cousin had, which he still is a huge fan that I only found out a, a couple of years ago. So I saw him a week ago because he's in the military and he ended up coming back to where I'm from. And I finally gave him his birthday present, which I got him a Dracula and a, a giant a creature from the Black Lagoon mask and something else, a Godzilla. So he still loves it. And he has this giant collection. And I said, oh my God, I'm not the only person in my family who likes this. But I think having access to those tapes made it really interesting. The idea of it being forbidden for me, close your eyes, cover your eyes. You can't watch this. Maybe you want to watch it more. And I was always intrigued by this idea of darkness or monsters and because I couldn't exactly handle it I wanted to handle it all the more and I honestly remember the only books that I would ever rent from the library were all R.L. Stein books. They were all spooky books. That's all I wanted to read. That's all I cared about reading. Any book that wasn't a spooky book it had to have some kind of dark mystery element to it, but it was, and the first book that I tried to write, the first story I tried to write was called The Mystery of the House Next Door. <laughs> so I always was drawn to the genre because I just loved the idea of being scared. I guess that made me a masochist as a child. I have no <laughs> idea, but I just always thought those stories were so interesting and they always kept me on the edge of my seat. They always made me wanting to know more. And so I think it always started then. And even though I wasn't really willing to become a horror fan, maybe partially because I wasn't encouraged to be, and it was kind of forbidden. Um, I, I didn't get into it until I had that dream and was a little older and was able to make the choice myself and say, I would like to watch this movie. And I think, I really think it, it, it says a lot when you, and I've heard, I've heard stories of people who say to their, their, their kids, you know, you can't watch this. And then they want to do it all the more. Of course, I'm a personal testament to that. And then people who say, yeah, you can watch it however you want. And they turn out fine. They grow up to be great people. They don't go off and, and try to disobey. And then the parents are, you know, whatever, disappointed, I guess, um, yeah. because they just give the children that freedom. And I think it makes them, it's just, it's just better because I, I think if people try to push kids too hard away from something, they're going to want to do it. They're going to, mm -hmm. and eventually they'll, they'll come back hard. I mean, they will probably rebel. They might not, they might, they might just not be that kind of person. For me, I went from none to horror fan. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I just think that horror, horror stories were always very 
interesting. And uh, they, they just always made me feel something that other books or stories didn't. Yeah, I, I found that same draw as well. And I think it's a it's an odd dichotomy where you say to yourself, your kids can watch these action movies where the hero is blasting 52 people, um, you know, and shooting them in the head or whatever, you know, movies like John Wick or, you know, even the, you know, the mainstream Marvel films, people die, you know, and they, they do crazy things. And uh, especially some of the uh, the darker versions, Deadpool. I mean, what's his count in that movie? Who knows how many people were killed? Um, you know, but they'll be more accepting of their uh, their children watching those films than they are with the horror films where, you know, you're really, you know, it's death and things of that nature that you're exposing your kids to in the, the cartoons and uh, the different action films that they watch, you know, sci-fi, Star Wars, people die. And, you know, and it's, I guess it's how it's how it's handled. Um, you know, it's it's dark. It's it's meant, I think it's meant to be on the outside, you know, by nature, you know, it's that dark book and that dark corner covered in cobwebs. And it's that, that dark film with this upside down cross on it and, you know, hiding in the deep recesses of the video store, you know, the horror section always seemed to be, uh, you know, right next to the adult movie section, you know, it's like always put into this, this different category. But uh, I think that, I think that's the, the draw even still, you know, you want it to be this outside thing. But that's still the draw. It's going to always be the thing that pulls people in. Yeah. And uh, I, I do always quote Wes Craven whenever I talk about horror because he was just such a wise man and I just love him so much, but he was also right is is him saying that you know we have to create these movies that personify or give light and address these dark parts of humanity because if you don't if you can't keep saying you can't do this that's wrong no of course that's not true whatever it might be it's just gonna fester and people won't be able to put their finger on it they'll be frustrated um, it will just get worse. You just have to, to look at it. You have to face it and you have to say, I see you, I know what you are. And you have to help people be able to deal with those things. And that's what horror movies help people to do. And a lot of people don't like people to watch them because they kind of want to brush it off. They don't want to think that that's a real thing or a possibility, or even maybe if they don't let them watch something like Get Out, they'll say, oh, racism's dead. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the hunt. I, I watched it. I've, I've watched it with some people and, and I'm not always sure how people are going to handle it. For me, I know watching it, I know what they're going for. And I'm glad that they did exactly what they did of flipping the switch on that. Mm-hmm. And some people don't like it because of that. And that is very telling to me about them if it makes you uncomfortable you probably have some issues to deal with when it comes to these certain situations and these subjects Um, but it really is I mean that's why we're able to power through this pandemic as horror fans because we've already faced it we've already been like apocalypse all right yeah I've seen zombie land 
I got that. I got that rule book. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be over in uh, what is it? What's Elvis's house? What is that? Oh, in, in Memphis, I forget. Oh, uh, no. God, what's it called? All the Elvis fans are Graceland. screaming on the other end. Yeah, Graceland. They're like Graceland, Graceland. Yeah, they're like phone a friend. <laughs> all right, so now we're gonna have all the listeners. Not to be too cheesy, turn the lights down. We're about to get scared because she's going to share a story that she began talking about before. And I was like, well, you absolutely have to tell that if you're comfortable. And she said she was. So I'm prompting her. (laughs) She's going to tell us about a real life paranormal experience that she had. And she didn't tell me. So I'm excited to hear it. All right. So I have always kind of been afraid of demonic forces but i didn't know if they were you were catholic real yes was catholic <laughs> yes and i didn't know if i ever really believed in ghosts or anything like that but i the paranormal activity movies scared me so i think that that kind of opened the door to me saying oh may i really don't like any idea any concept of this unknown dark entity being nearby that i can't see and i was in my senior year of college i was nervous about graduating didn't know if my career path is what i really wanted to do i had this senior project that was giving me hell i felt so stressed out i felt depressed and when i would go visit my parents at their house I would stay in my old room and at nighttime when I was there, I kept having this feeling like I needed to say a prayer before I went to bed. Now, even though I grew up Catholic, I really drifted away from my faith for a while and I I still am not. I mean, I believe I'm a very spiritual person. I believe love is love and all of this, but I'm not tied to any particular religion. And I just had to pray every night. I just felt compelled to pray every night. I sometimes slept with a rosary next to me or this Virgin Mary statue that I had. I just had to do it. I could not put my finger on it. And it was Christmas and I asked my uncle who's very religious and he works for his church. And I said, you know, why, what, what can you do if there's an evil force after you? What? what should I do? And he said, say in the name of Jesus Christ, you are not allowed to be in this room. You must leave in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said in, in, in religion, they are bound to obey that particular order. So then I started to say that every night. And I told a friend of mine who was actually my roommate at the time that this was happening. And I didn't really feel it when I was in the apartment with her back at school. I mostly felt it when I was at my home and I never told anybody else but her at the time. And she said, let me check with some of my psychic friends. And she herself was psychic. She had like this whole story about how some people have magic powers in this world. And we all have these like guardian angels. And she said to, she said she came back and found out that my particular guardian angel person that was assigned to me had left. And so it left me prone to some dark forces that are in the universe and that there was in fact a demon after me. And I thought, oh my God, I'm getting chills even talking about this right now. And I said, what can we do about it? And she said, I'm going to 
have some of my friends and I perform a ceremony and make sure that it is off of you. And they did, and I didn't feel it again. And like I said, I never told anybody. Right after I graduated, I went to Disney World and I worked there for the college program for several months. And my mom called me one day and she said that she had to tell me something. And she didn't tell my father yet, but she only told me. She said the previous night, she, she said she was pretty scared and shaken up because the previous night she was lying in bed and she felt an evil force watching her. And she didn't open her eyes. She told it mentally to go away, to never come back and that it was not welcome in her house. And I told her, I said, mom, I gotta tell you something. I felt an evil entity when I was upstairs in my bed for quite some time when I would come to visit you guys, there had to be something in that house. And it was a newer house. And I told my friend and she said, it was still around, it just wasn't attached to you. So they did something else and it's not been back there since, but still when I go into that room, I always think about it and I get this residual feeling like it left a mark there. And that's my story. Sounds like that needs to be pinned somewhere. Uh, <laughs> as you were talking about college uh, and you were talking about your experiences there, I couldn't help but think of the exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, the scenes where she's went away to school and uh, she's feeling the presence and the things of that nature. God, I just love that film. Uh, is it is it dark that I kind of I was like hoping that it would go into that story. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I haven't, <laughs> I I haven't seen that one yet because, like I said, I'm a little hesitant to watch demonic movies. Don't, 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 no, no, no. Judging is it by your theory, or is it not? Judging by your story, it's going to really mess with you. Mm. But I will it, say though that when I watched Host. And I, I, and that was around, I mean, I think that's why my hair was standing on ends for quite some time because of that whole experience. It just, it feels like it hits pretty close to home. Oh man, that movie is going to mess you up. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting. That movie was really, really cool because it took it from a perspective of what could the scientific explanations of this be? And <clears throat> what were the possible spiritual implications? And it uh, deals with some people that uh, in the film that are agnostic. Uh, Laura Linney uh, plays the uh, prosecuting attorney uh, or no, the defense attorney rather. And the uh, church is actually basically uh, pressing charges against this priest who is basically on trial for murder uh, of Emily Rose. Uh, because they're saying that, you know, he should have taken her to get medical help rather than an exorcism. And uh, so it's just really interesting, you know, because it's based on a true story. So but judging by what you said, that movie, whew, uh, this the scenes of college might really, really be tough for you to deal with. Um, now I'm kind of curious. I feel like I might have to watch it in the daytime and not watch it <laughs> alone. But I, I am kind of curious now. But yeah, that really it it's still it still freaks me out. I'd say so. Yeah, that's that's uh it's pretty Hopefully crazy. Hopefully the story didn't disappoint. <laughs> no, no, that's that's terrifying. Um any you know, it's it's always odd for me because you know, I'm so torn um 
because I'm an, uh, an atheist and I don't necessarily believe in some of the things, you know, but of course I've said this before, there's a lot of things I don't have answers to it. I can't tell you with a hundred percent certainty that none of that is real. And scientifically, you know, they talked about the, you know, if Stephen Hawking, in, you know, proposed the notion of the uh, multiverse theory, you know, parallel dimensions and things of that nature, could this be bleed over, you know, could these be uh, evil people on an, in another dimension that are coming into your life. I mean, there's, there's a ton of things. That's what makes this stuff so terrifying is because it's, it's unexplained. Uh, I just shared a story with my students today. Um, I grew up in a house. uh, I was there for 22 years uh, and I pretty much had the same bedroom uh, the entire time I was there. I was the oldest of uh, four children. So I kind of got the pick of the bedrooms. Uh, I let it be known. I'm like, nope, you want that room? That's too bad. Uh, So I had the one room with a door on our second floor. And uh, I'd never felt uncomfortable up there ever. You know, Uh, there was a creepy closet that like didn't have walls in it and it went off into the roof. It was very strange. Um, So I never really put anything in that closet so i didn't have to get in there i literally put my dresser in front of that closet and uh, that was the only thing that was ever weird but uh one day we're all sitting there in my living room uh with my parents doing that lovely movie night that i talked to you about so we had picked out you know uh whatever goofy horror movie we had decided to get that night and uh had all of our goodies from rallies or wendy's or wherever And uh, we're all sitting there. And when I say all, I mean, every living creature in the house was there in the living room, the dog and our two cats. We're all sitting there just snuggled up enjoying this movie. And uh, as we're sitting there, we hear something uh, hit the ceiling and it's so loud and it's so um, it hits with such force that it shakes the dust off of the ceiling fan. So this dust is like creating this little snowfall. (laughs) on on all of us sitting on the floor like legit and uh we all kind of look at each other and we go what the hell was that you know and um so my brother and i you know that's where we sleep that those are our bedrooms up there so we're like great what fell you know what is the deal you know but we're a little cautious we're watching a horror movie for you know for god's sake so we're like we'll send the dog you know we'll send him up there first and you know see what's up and we had a 95 pound black labrador He was never really scared of anything. He wasn't a mean dog by any means, but he was never scared of anything. He walked to the door, tail went immediately between his legs, and he walked away from the door. And I was like, I'm like, Dad, you want to go up there? And, you know, we're teenagers at this point. I think I was 15 or 16. My dad's like, nope, I'm not going up there. And I was like, well, that's great, Dad. Cool. I'm like, what if it's a burglar? He's like, "Ah, if it's a burglar, what do they got to steal? I was like, thanks, Dad. Uh, He's like, some stained sheets. I was like, can we stop? (laughs) So my brother and I both grabbed the baseball bats that we had. We, you know, we both played sports. And uh, we go trekking up the steps. Actually, no, my brother had a damn butcher knife. He grabbed a knife out of the kitchen. And uh, so we go trekking up the steps and we walk up uh, all around there. We saw nothing absolutely nothing nothing was out of place nothing and and then all the time that i'd been there i never felt uneasy being by myself i mean the house could be completely empty which was rare um the only thing that was uneasy when the house was empty is that it was empty so i'd never felt weird but the entire family was there to see it and hear it and to this day we didn't know what happened 
Um, but then oddly enough, after I moved out of the house, my, um, not that long ago, uh, well, it's it, not that it'll never be that long ago to me. Uh, my father passed away seven years ago. And after my dad died, my mom was still living in that house. You know, and of course, like I said, we had lived there a long time and, uh, she started encountering all kinds of crazy things in a house that was really peaceful. And uh, I don't know if it was my dad, you know, um, and she said it was never like malevolent presence, but just unnerving. And the fact that uh, she was sitting there one night in her chair and uh, coming from the second floor where my brother and I used to sleep, she heard footsteps like all the way down. And just she just sat there laying there and was just waiting for the door open. She's like, what? You know, she thought maybe my brother was there or something like that. And uh, the door never opened and there was nobody there. And uh, my brother had experiences that were similar to that. So I don't know if the uh, whatever knocked over whatever or dumped on the floor that night decided to wait until later to do some more stuff. But uh, yeah, that was I can't explain that. No idea. You know, so I, I can't completely dismiss it because I, I checked it out myself. Yeah. Well, when um, I moved into this house at the beginning of this year, uh, I'd come a couple times to paint and I always was, a, I was always worried that there would be um, a ghost in the house. The house, my house was built in 91, I think. And there was an old lady before me, but I never asked if anybody died in the house. I know she didn't because they said that she went away to a nursing home, but um she, I just somewhat had this feeling. I thought maybe I was just worried and I was thinking that it was there, but I think I left one of the doors open uh, just to see. And I, I went back to my apartment the next day I came back to paint and it was closed. And I said, um, I know I left this door open. Maybe it was just the air closed it, whatever it might be. And so we move in and I somehow get to a point with my mom and she goes, you know, I got to tell you, I, uh, I think you do have something here. It's not bad. The first night that your dad and I slept here, I think it was the weekend that they helped us move in um, just so that they didn't have to drive back to where they're from. She said, I, I saw it. I felt it. It was just checking us out. It wasn't anything bad. I said, great. The thing that I didn't want to be around <laughs> is around. And sometimes it will play with my cat because we have cameras and I will notice my cat running all over only every so often. I don't see any lights moving. And then some days during the day, she'll, she'll be looking at random parts on the wall, nothing there. She'll be climbing all over, looking at something, nothing there. Um, so I don't know what's around here. I don't know who it is. One time she got really scared of something. Nothing fell, at least that I could see. She just ran away and I, I walked over to one part that she was like looking at and I stepped in and I don't know if it was my imagination, but it felt cold. And I said, there you are. I don't know who you are, but play nice with the cat. You can be here as long as you're not mean because I am a horror fan and I know witches and we will exercise you. <laughs> we will. Exercise the demon. <laughs> I ain't scared. Boy, you're going to release something. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny that you bring up uh, something similar to a situation that I encountered um, 
as well. Since we're on this, this is fun. I, I love these kind of stories, and I'm sure it a makes lot of me a little listen. nervous. Not gonna oh, lie, yeah. <laughs> it is my it is my my kryptonite area, but I'm curious. So, um, I lived in this apartment complex. It was the uh, minus now. It was the only time I had a roommate outside of my wife, and uh, my real good uh, buddy uh, Chris Whitworth holler. Uh, I lived with him and uh, been there, I guess, six months or so. We were about midway through the lease of about of a year lease. And uh, we were friends with the people who were the apartment managers. So they lived right across the hall from us and we were good friends. And uh, one day they come over and they're like, you're never going to believe what, what just happened. And we're like, what? Okay. They're like, yeah, the, uh, the apartment that runs caddy corner to the back of your apartment, <clears throat> we found a woman who had been in there. Um, evidently she didn't have much family in the area. She'd been dead for they guessed over a week. And so of course it was their job to make the calls and all of those things. And, you know, they'd only found her because she hadn't paid the rent, which was really uncharacteristic for her and things of that nature. So at that point, you know, I had felt completely comfortable in that apartment. It was fine. Well, after that, uh, we were shooting, oddly enough, we were shooting a, uh, a Christmas massacre. Uh, we were doing a little short, uh, my friends and I, we were just being silly. And uh, we had uh, put together this Christmas film where these uh, stuffed the uh, abominable snowman from the Rudolph films. Uh, he was the killer. So like this stuff thing, it was kind of like child's play, but with this thing, it was silly, but it was fun. And we were, interestingly enough, making that. So we're all sitting there after we've kind of wrapped up a little bit and we're sitting there in the living room and we hear the doorknob on the front door jiggle. And we're like, oh, okay. Somebody, maybe somebody else showed up. Maybe our friends from across the hall are here. We open up the door, nothing. The hallway is completely empty. There's nobody on the stairs. There's nothing. So if it's Usain Bolt, maybe they got away. I don't know. So we go back to chilling and we hear it again. I'm like, okay. So we immediately got up at that point. We're like, okay. And then we're trying to like recreate it. We're like waiting for the wind to blow right. We never could get it to do it. So that was one little, one little weird, creepy thing. We're like, all right, maybe, maybe it's the wind. Well, my wife would come up. She was at the time she was away at college. And then she would come up and stay with me on the weekends and things of that nature. So um, I would leave my door open because I had a small room and my TV would make my room really hot. I'll leave the door open. Well, one night I noticed my wife had already fallen asleep and I'm sitting kind of up, kind of restless and I'm sitting and I hear we had carpeted floors. So it's that distinct sound of shuffling feeding across carpet. So I heard it and I thought it was my roommate. I thought maybe he had made his way to the kitchen. So I'm just waiting to see him walk by, you know, just kind of put your mind at ease. Never came. Uh, I got up. I kind of walked through the apartment. I made sure the door was locked and his, he's in his room, his, his door shut, nothing. So I, I'd heard that a couple times. Uh, my wife would often fall asleep before me because of kind of a night out and I would just kind of always wait for it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Tonight's going to be the night. I'm going to see it. Well, I had never told my roommate that ever. Didn't tell him about anything. He knew about the door handle because he was there, but I never said anything about the the shuffling of the feet ever. He calls me one day. He's like, hey, where are you? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm across town. I was like 20 minutes from there. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. He just starts 
profane laced conversation. He's like, okay, so I just got out of the shower. I know my bedroom door was open. Your bedroom door was open. None of the lights were on. I don't leave lights on. He's like, I get out of the damn shower. I walk into the hallway. The doors are both closed. All the damn lights are on in the house. And he's like, I thought for sure I heard you come in that front door. I heard it open and close. I thought you were here. And I was like, nope, I'm sorry. And he had said uh, he had been in a motorcycle accident and he still had the things that like he, he could have died. I mean, he, he got hurt really bad. He broke his femur and all of these things. And he still had the things that he was wearing that night in his closet. Don't know why he kept it, but he did that same day, right before he got in the shower, he had grabbed that helmet and was looking at the helmet and kind of like, damn, I remember this. He said that the light bulb in the closet burned out. It got really bright and it burned out. So that had happened earlier in that day. So he was already kind of on edge. And then this happened. And much like me, he's an atheist as well. So like, you know, he, he didn't know what to believe. He was like, oh my God, what in the hell is happening in this place? So, yeah, I, I love those stories because I have no explanation. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like a, I don't watch a lot of ghost hunting shows or anything like that because I usually assume that they're, so I've always been pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, based on what my mom told me and that incident, especially, I I don't like to address it. I don't like to think about it that much, but it makes me very uneasy. So I'm just constantly in a state of please stay away from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I greatly appreciate you taking some time to sit down and chat with me. This has been a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, even though I'm like you, it, it kind of creeps me out just because I don't know what the, what in the world it is. And I'm like scientific. I'm like, I don't like not knowing it bothers me. It like gets under my skin. So that's why my favorite films are like the conjuring and insidious and those different things. They scare the crap out of me. Paranormal activity. The first time I saw that. Woo. Oh my gosh. I remember oh, that. Woo-wee. So good. Okay. The, the one, I think it's the second one when the, when the room shakes and the dust falls on the thing that, that <laughs> moment right there, that sticks with me all the time, all the time. Yeah, and I can tell you how scary it is because I had <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> the whole family, not just mm-hmm. me at home and be like, well, maybe my brains will play with me, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's like group hysteria and like, I don't know why we're all having yeah. a good time. And just boom, it was like, wow, that one really stuck with me because it was like all of us. Yeah, we all were like, you, you heard that? Yeah. yeah, you heard that. That was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that so. was like when my mom told me that and I didn't tell her and I was like, Ooh, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when it's echoed, when somebody else, yeah, when, when, uh, that, that's, that's when it gets really crazy. hundred percent. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, I would love to maybe have you back on or, uh, if you ever need another horror aficionado for something that you're doing, I would be absolutely thrilled. Yeah, I would totally. This has been a blast, Andrew. And if there's any uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street subject you like to talk about, because we really like to get into uh, just discussion topics we've talked about. Did Freddy really live at 1428? Freddy's dead makes it pretty obvious, in my opinion. But other people say no. And I and so just talking about a bunch of things like that, if there's ever a burning question or anything. Yeah, you're more than welcome to, to come on. I, I love to talk to fans about their theories and whatnot. 
That would be phenomenal. I'll have to brush right. up. Sounds like you're like diving in deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to put this episode up. I'm uh, really loved our story and uh, I'm going to go uh, turn on all the lights in the house and uh, maybe try to sleep. Who knows? I know. Me too. Thanks, have a, Andrew. Have a great night.